Okay, so the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation is finishing up today, and it has been a crazy week. I don't know of another time people have protested actually inside of a confirmation process. There's been a lot of talk about women's rights, and really what it comes down to is abortion. But what does abortion have to do with this confirmation? Well, it it comes down to Roe versus Wade, plus a few cases that happened before Roe versus Wade. These court cases were settled by the Supreme Court, and a lot of people believe they were not settled correctly. I spoke on the history of this a few weeks ago, so today we're going to replay that history lesson. into the history of that case. So in order to understand Roe v. Wade, we have to look at three cases that came before it. Also, I have to start by explaining four amendments in the Bill of Rights. So I'm Canadian, a lot of my listeners, most of us I think are Canadian. So I'm gonna be explaining these amendments. So Americans who are listening, sorry. Okay, so the Fifth Amendment says that all citizens have the right to life, liberty and property. The Ninth Amendment kind of says that um, all of the rights that people have are not necessarily in the Bill of Rights. So there are rights that citizens have that are not necessarily in the Bill of Rights. The Fourteenth Amendment says that all citizens have equal protection under the law. Okay, so here's the three cases you need to know about. The first one was Poe versus Allman case in 1961. So we're starting off today in 19. 61. So there was a Connecticut law and it actually banned doctors uh, for advertising for contraception. So we're not talking about abortion here. We're talking about contraception. So this law, it was banning doctors from advertising for it. So it went to court, went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled that since no one had actually been arrested under this law and the law was not being enforced, they were not going to side with the complainant. So for the next couple of years, doctors, they wanted the law overturned, so they went out of their way advertising, giving out contraception in order to get uh, to have a case to bring to the Supreme Court. So finally, in 1965, a doctor was fined for giving out contraceptions to a married couple. So the doctor then took it to court all the way to the Supreme Court, and this was the Griswold versus Connecticut case. So in this case, the argument was that police are going to raid people's homes looking to see if they can find any contraception. Now, this, of course, never actually happened. In fact, it took four years to even get a doctor to have a fine. No one raided any homes. No one really even cared. The law wasn't really being enforced at all. And when it was enforced, it was a doctor who got a fine. So the court actually found in favor of the plaintiff in this case. And the reason was they believed that the married couples had a right to privacy. Now, it's not actually a right to privacy in the American Constitution. 
but the Fifth Amendment, which gave people the right to property, would be violated if the police were to go into a home and search for contraception, which also, remember, never actually happened. So the Ninth Amendment was also used stating that they could have a right to privacy even if it wasn't in the right to the Bill of Rights. All right. So then there was a third case that you need to know. Remember the Griswold versus Connecticut case. The Supreme Court decided that a married couple could have the right to privacy in their home, and that meant having contraception. Can you guess the problem with that? Well, in the Einstein versus Bard case, it was decided that this right to privacy must also be for unmarried couples because of the 14th Amendment that said all citizens have to have the same protection under the law. So if you're married, you have the right to privacy, then unmarried people have to also have the right to privacy. Now, personally, I believe that contraception should be legal, but it shouldn't have been decided by the Supreme Court. It really had nothing to do with the right of privacy or any of the three amendments. And since it was a law no one was following anyway, if someone had tried to get the law changed in the state, it would have been changed. But there was an agenda, and it was not the law telling doctors they couldn't advertise for contraception that the Democrats wanted changed. They had their eyes on something else. What they needed was a precedent. So these three cases came back later. So remember them, and also remember the three amendments. Well, President Nixon had the opportunity to put three judges on the Supreme Court. One of those judges was Blackman. So Nixon was a Republican, and he wanted to make sure his judges were conservative and would look at the Constitution when deciding a case. When Nixon was interviewing Blackman for the case, he asked him a question. Was his wife Dorothy easily persuaded by the Democrats in Washington? People kind of freaked out about this question. I mean, it seems kind of sexist, right? So Blackman said she's not easily persuadable, she was a conservative, and the lifestyle of Washington would not change that. Blackman was well-respected by doctors and had worked at the Mayo Clinic. And he seemed like a really good pick, so Blackman became a Supreme Court judge. During the years of these three cases, a young girl named Norma got pregnant. Her mother took custody of the baby and adopted it against Norma's will. Norma and her mother did not have a good relationship. A few years later, Norma was pregnant again. This time, she put her baby up for adoption. Then, in 1969, Norma found herself pregnant again. She thought this time she would get an abortion. Now, the law in Texas was you could only have an abortion if you were raped. So Norma said she was raped, but then she changed her mind and didn't want to say that. And so she admitted she wasn't raped, so she couldn't get an abortion. She then found an illegal abortion clinic, took all her money, and went to have an abortion. But the office was closed that day. So she went to see a lawyer. The lawyer said, I know two young ladies who are looking for a case just like this, Sarah Wentington and Linda Coffey. So Norma agreed to meet with them. It was not a normal lawyer's meeting. They drank a lot. They ate a bunch of pizza. Then they drank some more. Norma was very drunk. The whole time they're talking about women's rights. Don't you think women should be allowed to do whatever they want with their own bodies? They told her they had a doctor friend they would introduce her to and that he would definitely give her an abortion. They just needed her to sign one paper. That night, she signed the paper that would make her the anonymous woman, Jane Roe. 
they were going to court for the right to have an abortion. Norma did not hear from Sarah or Linda for a year. There was no doctor friend who came to help. She gave birth to her baby all alone. Sarah wasn't there. Linda wasn't there. Her baby was then adopted. Four months later, Sarah called Norma and asked if she wanted to go to Washington, D.C. They were going to the Supreme Court. Norma was kind of shocked to hear from them again. She told them she had her baby and it had been adopted. Sarah and Linda told Norma she was going to change the United States. She was going to be someone. Norma had never felt loved. She'd never felt like she mattered. Sarah and Linda talked to her like she was a real person. She went to Washington. For the first time in years, Norma felt like she mattered. So the case went to the Supreme Court. It was Roe versus Wade. Roe was Norma. Wade was the Dallas attorney. Wade started the whole argument off with a joke. He said something like, since he was arguing against two pretty ladies, they would probably get the last word. No one laughed because it wasn't funny. And also, why would you start a case with a sexist joke, especially if you're going to be arguing about abortion? It was not a good start. Wade's argument was that the fetus, since it was a human being, had the right to the Fifth Amendment, the right to life. This is where the right to life movement gets its name. Wade's whole argument rests on the fetus had the guaranteed right of the Fifth Amendment. So the argument for Roe was this, the right to privacy that had been won in the Griswold versus Connecticut case and the Einstein versus Byrd case. That should apply to abortion as well, since it's a private matter between a doctor and the patient. And here's the pro-choice argument. The court should stay out of the private conversations of the doctor and the patient. The same three amendments were used. Fifth, the right to life, liberty and property. The ninth, where there's rights that are not necessarily defined in the Bill of Rights. These two combined, they argued, gave them the right to privacy. And that that had been argued and agreed to by the Supreme Court in the two cases we talked about before. Also, the 14th Amendment had said that citizens should have equal protection. Since this was a law in Texas, it should not be a state law, but a federal one. So the Roe versus Wade case was not actually a case about abortion. It was a case about the right to privacy and states' rights. Like most things that have to do with abortion, the Democrats want you to not look at the horrors of what abortion is, but to look instead at the other shiny object, the right to privacy. Well, while this case was going on, Dorothy Blackman was behind the scenes. She had actually changed during her time in Washington. Her and her daughters both wanted Roe to win. Dorothy began working on her husband. In fact, she said at one point of the lawyers, you're working on the same thing, you at work and me at home. In 1973, in a 7-2 to two decision, the court sides with Roe. Blackman not only sides with Roe, he becomes the one who writes the court's opinion. So he starts with a lot of history stuff and talking about um, laws in other countries. He talks about Christian theology. He talks about abortions in other countries, abortions in America. He said the right to privacy was not in the Constitution. But because past cases had seen the three amendments as a right to privacy, that those cases were now precedent for this case. He said that the right to privacy was important for families, and families should be able to have privacy, plan their families, plan their child rearing, their child education. So he said those cases gave the right to privacy, and the right to privacy extended to unmarried couples, and also extended to abortion. So Blackman said the right to life, 
did not extend to the fetus automatically. He said it was on a kind of a scale. So it kind of went this way. The first trimester, it's up to the doctor. The second trimester, states could make some regulations. In the third trimester, the states would be allowed to ban abortion. So the country was divided. The anti-abortion group became known as the right to life, which meant they believed the fetus should have the Fifth Amendment and the right to life. The pro-abortion group was also about privacy, which was a private conversation between a woman and her doctor. This became privacy of a woman making choices for herself, which became pro-choice. Most people are not aware that what was decided in Roe versus Wade was about the right to privacy and the right to states to make laws. This is important for where we, when we get to today. The court was over, but the story was really just getting started. Norma wrote a book called I Am Roe. She was really a national treasure for the pro-abortion people. But for Norma, her heart did not heal with the ruling of Roe versus Wade. The peace she was looking for was not there. Instead, she began to drink heavily, do drugs, and attempted suicide multiple times. In 1987, another girl, Rhonda, found herself pregnant. She was engaged to be married. Her family told her to get an abortion. She could have a baby after she was married, but a baby would ruin the wedding. The girl refused to have an abortion. She'd seen what happened to her friends when they had abortions, and she knew she didn't want that. So Rhonda got married in a rush and had her baby. She named her little baby Emily. Soon after that, the couple began attending church and became Christians. The pastor of the church was a man named Flip Benham. He was handsome, charismatic, and said what needed to be said. One day, Flip went to a book signing of Roe versus Wade. He saw Roe and called her name. She looked up at him. She was startled to see a good-looking man dressed so well calling her name. For a moment, she felt a little bit of that my life matters feeling again. Then Flip yelled out, Norma, you should be ashamed of yourself. You are personally responsible for the death of millions of little babies. Flip watched as the life went out of Norma's eyes and he knew instantly that what he had said was wrong. But the crowd pushed him and he couldn't see her again. Norma spiraled even more. She had a hard time sleeping because when she closed her eyes, she saw little babies being taken from their mothers and killed. In 1992, the Supreme Court had another case, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. In this case, Planned Parenthood was trying to change Roe versus Wade. And yes, you heard that right. Roe versus Wade had, has already been looked at by the Supreme Court and has been changed. And some parts of the decision have already been viewed as wrong. But it was the pro-abortion side that saw the decision as wrong. In this case, it was decided that the three levels of rights that corresponded with the three trimesters was wrong. So the courts decided that a fetus's rights could not be considered until it was viable outside the womb. So the ruling was changed to anything before 24 weeks was legal, but states could decide what they wanted to do after 24 weeks. In 1995, Norma was working at an abortion clinic. Flip Benham's church had grown and they were looking for a new space to rent. They found a location for their abortion clinic on the same property and it shared a parking lot. They were told by the landlord that the abortion clinic would be moving, so they agreed to rent the space. But once they rented this space, they found that the clinic still had a year on the lease. So the landlord told them if they agreed to stay, he would let them rent for free for a year. So they agreed. The church would two or three days a week 
stand outside the clinic and pray and sing. Norma would come out. She would yell at them and curse at them, but they never yelled back or cursed back. One day, Rex was going to church and he saw Norma sitting by herself on the bench. He went over to her and asked if he could talk to her. He told her he was sorry for how he had spoken to her that day at the book signing and asked if Norma would forgive him. Norma was shocked. She said yes, and then she went inside. She went to her office, turned out the light, and cried. Little Emily was now eight years old, and she had a mission. Every day they drove by the church and the clinic, Emily would pray for Norma. Every time they went to church, Emily would look for Norma. And if she saw her, she would run up to her and ask her to come to church with them. Finally, one day, Norma saw Emily running up to her excitedly. Miss Norma, won't you come to church with me, please? Norma could not say no to that sweet little face. So she crossed the parking lot and went to the church. That night, Norma heard about Jesus who loved her. She heard about Jesus who died for her. That night, Norma gave her life to Jesus and became a Christian. She was led to Jesus by an eight-year-old girl who had herself almost been aborted. Norma immediately felt her life change. She could physically feel God changing her. She became a pro-life advocate and would spend the next two decades trying to get Roe vs. Wade overturned. This is a poem she wrote. I sit across from a playground that I visited this eve with a small child. I know of such places where children play. I know that I'm the cause of them not being here today. These playgrounds for innocent children, now dead because of sins I helped do. I hope, Lord, that the wonderful playground is well guarded with angels. Angels who will protect them, keep them happy and safe. Angels who will make them smile and laugh. So that when this glorious day comes, the children will not hold that sin against me. Every time I see a playground empty, I know that yours will be full. The sun is now setting and my heart hurts. For the numbers who have been aborted have been torn apart. I pray you'll put them back together and make them whole. If you like, Lord, use my body to make your precious children whole again. I ask you to do this not only for them, Lord, but also for the love I have for each of them. Lord God, you gave your only son, and he died and shed his blood for us. All I did was give my baby away so that women could tear theirs apart. For this, I'll never be able to look in your face out of shame. But that shame did leave Norma as she learned about God's grace. She took her shame, and he gave her new meaning. Now remember, the three cases that came from Roe versus Wade were cases that would lead to Roe versus Wade, but Roe versus Wade led to more cases. In 2000, a case, Steinberg versus Carhartt, the Supreme Court struck down a Nebraska law prohibiting partial birth abortions. Now let me explain to you what a partial birth abortion is. A baby is delivered except for the head. So the legs, the body, the arms, are all outside the mother. The baby's alive, moving around. Scissors are used to cut the back of the neck of the baby. Then a tube is pushed up into the brain of the baby. The brains are sucked out of the baby. The head is then crushed and delivered. Now what judge in their right mind, even for a split second, thought 
that what I just described has anything to do with privacy. So today, there's a new judge, possibly, coming to the Supreme Court. For the record, the judges who voted for Roe v. Wade were appointed by Republicans, but still, the Democrats are terrified that Roe v. Wade will be overturned. If it is overturned, and I am praying and believing it will be, does that mean abortion will become illegal in the states? No. It will mean that each state can decide for itself. That means there will be some states that will ban abortions, and some states will have abortion at any stage for any reason, just like Canada does. And a little reminder, that's what we have here. Abortion at any stage for any reason. But there are already states that are basically abortion-free. The pro-life movement is growing and abortion clinics are closing rapidly. Kentucky is now a state with no abortion clinics. But abortions are still happening. Last year in the United States, 321,384 lives were ended through abortion. That makes the total, since Roe v. Wade, 7 0.6 million lives lost through abortion. One good thing that's coming from these left freakout that they're going through currently is the topic of abortion is now open for discussion. So we have to be willing to have those talks. If you want to know how to answer questions, check out my YouTube channel and my website and look up the series called The Abortion Debate. In 2017, Norma went home to be with Jesus. She died of heart failure. She never had an abortion. She spent the last 22 years of her life fighting to have her case, Roe versus Wade, overturned. I'm Laura Lee Siemens. Hey, if you liked this podcast, how about leaving me a five-star review? Also, let your friends know about this. And if you want to hear more history behind the news stories of the week, subscribe so you won't miss one episode. All right, check out my website, lauraleesiemens.com. I'm Laura Lee. See you next week.